Hello from Los Angeles. Good evening and welcome to this week's Fearless Activism webinar, self-awareness, leadership class, and a program that we do every Sunday night to provide a non-political, emotionally intelligent response to the madness that's happening on a daily basis. It's overwhelming, isn't it? You know, we're just about to start. Tomorrow we will begin the third week. Think about it. Just the the third week of the Trump administration, and it feels like he's been the president for three years, or at least least three months. But the idea that uh, we're just now moving into the third week is startling. This man has signed 18 executive orders, not a peep from Republicans who were so concerned about President Obama's use of executive orders when Congress was stalling him and in recess. And, of course, I don't think it's even debatable that there was nothing that President Obama signed that was as draconian as what we're seeing signed on a daily basis by Donald Trump. So we want to talk about that, how to organize, how to resist, how to join the protests, how to avoid burning out, and most importantly, how to avoid being dragged into political squabbles. Politics is no fun, and yet Demonstrating your resistance to dictatorship can be a joyful activity. The irony of all of this is that while we're in very dark and dangerous times, there's a great deal of harmony and unity that comes out of it. You see the yin and the yang of it all? And some would argue, and I I guess I'd be one of them, that it's often darkest before the dawn. If you listen carefully to our introductory song every week, The Great Hosanna by Kula Shaker, you'll hear that optimism about a a new day coming. And this is what it often takes. Things have to get really, really bad to get people to get off the sofa, get over to the telephone and the word processor, make a few phone calls, write a few letters, get out into the streets and raise a little bit of hell, and meet each other, you see. Meet like-minded women and men and laugh and celebrate the fact that, in spite of the fact that these are dark times and foolish people were fooled by a fool, defrauded, really, and... As a result, we have a megalomaniac in the Oval Office. One thing to celebrate (laughs) that I've been celebrating all day today is Saturday Night Live. That program that we saw last night, gosh, I hope you saw it. Not only the segment with Alec 
Baldwin playing the president, which he's done for weeks, and the um, the monster, the specter of evil, Steve Bannon. But later in the program, uh, Melissa McCarthy, dressed up like a man in an ill-fitting suit, playing the role of Sean Spicer, was just priceless. It was incredible. All of the screaming and who better to do it. And this is so important, not just for its entertainment value, but it radicalizes people. It wakes people up and demonstrates to so many people all across America, not just blue states, but throughout the heartland, the so-called flyover states, that there's something very wrong with what's happening since the election in Washington, D.C., and in particular the last couple of weeks. Something very, very wrong. This is not normal. This is not right. And the news media can't really tell you this because they're commercial in nature. Now, I worked for 40 years in commercial media for ABC, CBS, Westinghouse, Cap Cities, Disney, corporations I don't even remember anymore. And I understand the nature of commercial media. Commercial broadcast media, as the name suggests, whether it's radio or television, is about the commercials, not the programming. The only point of the programming is to keep you watching until the next set of commercials comes around. That's the bread and butter. That's their motive. Now, it didn't used to be this way. Years ago, there were programs that were exceptions. They were called news. And then there was public affairs programming. This was back in the day when there was something called the Fairness Doctrine. And news and public affairs was not intended to bank money. It was run at a loss, really, because these corporations are licensed by the federal government to use the people's airwaves. It's real important that you understand that just as federal land is public land, and it belongs to each and every one of us, the airwaves, every television channel, every radio frequency, even the common carrier, so-called, that goes down telephone wires and coaxial cables for TV, that all belongs to us. The, the rights to use that is public. And radio stations and television stations, cable companies with such are licensed to operate in the public interest. Of course, things have changed little by little. The Fairness Doctrine was eliminated piece by piece. The public affairs programs went away little by little. Talk shows swung to the right, and news programs became profit-making vehicles. So the reason we can't be well-informed, the reason CNN, MSNBC... Fox, the corporate broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, they can't tell you, hey, this is not normal, this is not right. Danger. We're in big danger here. They can't tell you that because their primary responsibility is to make money 
to raise the stock price to serve the stockholder. And in order to do that, they have to drive ratings with their programming. And frankly, this Donald Trump freak show gets good ratings. And so during the election last year, we saw Hillary Clinton, for example, giving speeches that were ignored by the mainstream media while they had their cameras pointed at an empty podium for an hour waiting for Donald Trump to show up. Why? Because they got better ratings of an empty podium anticipating Trump's appearance than they would have gotten from running one of Hillary's boring speeches. (laughs) And it's all about ratings, and it's all about money and profit and stock value and stockholders. And so that has corrupted the fourth estate, the role of the media in America. So somebody's got to say this is not normal. We have a malignant narcissist, a sociopath, a psychopath, a megalomaniac in the White House, and he has surrounded himself with other twisted and perverse people, including just a lot of very wealthy and greedy millionaires, billionaires, and bankers. I'm dating myself when I say millionaires. A million dollars used to be a lot of money, but uh, not anymore. million is not what it used to be. So billionaires and bankers, bees and bees, billionaires and bankers. The uh, Somebody said that, that Trump's cabinet, their collected worth is greater than the poorest one-third of American citizens combined. So it's real important, I think. I'm going to hit this week after week after week that we're struggling to save democracy, the Bill of Rights in particular. This is not partisan politics. I am not a liberal Democrat. I'm not appealing to Democrats. I'm interested in what happens politically, but this is not politics. This is a struggle to save democracy. This is a struggle that's been going on from the beginning of time. It was not until the 13th century that the King of England signed the Magna Carta that granted limited rights to certain landholders. And step by step, we have gradually moved toward freedom and liberty. Now, we've encountered a number of dictators along the way. I was thinking about Napoleon today, nearly 19th century. Napoleon did exactly what Donald Trump did, held himself out as a man of the people, said that he was going to overthrow the aristocracy. He was going to put them in their place. He was going to drain the swamp and represent the people. And there was a popular uprising that supported Napoleon until he got the power that he wanted, and then he moved into a giant palace, grabbed a lot of money, and became just another aristocrat. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. See, one of the miracles of the United States from George Washington forward is that 
our presidents have resisted this temptation till now. And so Donald Trump, no different than Napoleon. The Napoleonic complex, the lust for power, the obsession with power, the obsession with control, the obsession with size, the size of his crowd, the size of his hands, the size of his manhood seems to concern him as well. We have uh, Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini and Tojo, all examples of dictators. And there are countless others. America has often aligned itself with dictators in the third world, like Pinochet, for example, in Argentina, or Somoza in Nicaragua, where we were involved in overthrowing democracies and installing dictatorships because it benefited United Fruit, the Dulles Brothers, or whatever. Now it's all about oil. So America is not perfect, of course, by any means, by, not by a long shot, but we haven't had to deal with dictatorship before. Now we do. We have a Stalin, Hitler, Napoleon in the White House. And as was suggested on Saturday Night Live, it's not unlike Bush-Cheney uh, White House, where Cheney was really the president and George W. Bush was the figurehead. That was suggested by Saturday Night Live last night that Steve Bannon is the president and Trump's the figurehead. Now, Trump would argue with that, of course. He thinks he's running the show, but Bannon is Trump's brain. He's behind all of this. He's behind the Muslim ban. He is the barely educated nitwit that rolled out this Muslim ban without even considering the consequences, without checking with the Department of Homeland Security or the State Department or TSA or any of the other affected agencies, Department of State, I guess I mentioned. And you saw the disaster, and, and it's just one of many. Trump hanging up on the Australian prime minister, slamming the phone down in the middle of the phone call, only hours after threatening the president of Mexico with a military invasion. This is crazy. And if you're afraid it's crazy, it's okay to be afraid that it's crazy. It's better than denial. It's much better than pretending everything's okay and this is just another partisan battle. Trump is not a Republican. You know that, right? You'll remember that most Republicans opposed his candidacy. Remember never Trump? Where are all those guys now? My God, I, complete absence of any integrity, especially among these Republicans who were willing to risk everything to come out and oppose Trump until he gets elected. And now, they're all on board with this insanity. Also this week, we have the appointment or the nomination of a right-wing attorney, a federal judge to the United States Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch, a man so far to the right that he once formed an organization called Fascism Forever. And you say, no, Michael, you must be making that up. 
He wouldn't really form an organization called Fascism Forever, would he? Yes, actually, as a matter of fact, he did. Hard to believe, but it's true. This is non-political. What I want to offer here is a resource for people who want to organize and resist in a non-political yet an emotionally intelligent way. And so taking care of yourself and making sure that you don't burn out on all of this is to me an important part of what I'm doing. And I'm just one of many. I had a short text exchange with a fellow up in uh, San Francisco who's doing the same thing. And I was talking about the pamphlet Indivisible, which is in my newsletter. If you haven't read it, you really must download it and read it. Put together by Washington staffers. And he said, yeah, that's a, a, a great document for organizing resistance, but it does not in any way address self-care. Personal empowerment, the impact on our growth and evolution as a result of expressing our outrage. And I said, you're right. Is that what you're doing? And he said, yeah, that's what we're doing. Not just activism, not just organizing, not just coordinating resistance with marches and letters and phone calls, but teaching people how to avoid burnout. And that in the midst of all this darkness and this fear and anxiety, there's great joy available. There has to be a high level of self-awareness about what we're doing. Otherwise, we become the very thing we oppose. You cannot hate the people who hate you. In spite of how contagious, how infectious emotions are, you cannot allow yourself to be simply angry about people who are angry. You have to transmute those emotions of of hatred, of anger, of fear itself, which is at the root of it all, into a quality of passion that is love-based, that is joyous, that is celebratory, and see this as the catalyst for a world revolution. And I'm going to tell you what I think the single issue in all of this really is at the end of this program. I'm not sure we're going to go a whole hour tonight because today's Super Bowl Sunday, and although most people listen to this on demand as a podcast, we have a lot of people, thankfully, that listen live, and yet with the Super Bowl, I'm sure our audience is smaller than usual, probably drunker than, <laughs> than usual, too. That's one of the things that, that I wanted to talk about tonight, just the fact that this is not normal, and beware of the media's attempt to normalize it, to be fair, and to be even-handed. What nonsense. In retrospect, should the German media have been even-handed in the way they handled Hitler's rise to power? Should the intelligentsia the media, the authors, the writers, the poets, the artists, the singers and dancers in Russia, in the Soviet Union, should 
Should they have all been even-handed and told each other when Stalin first came to power that, well, we really need to give him a chance? These are megalomaniacs. These are sick, mentally ill people with an obsession for power. And it gets complicated. I ran down a long list last week of Donald Trump's mental illnesses, starting with the malignant narcissism, uh, the delusions of grandeur, the fears and the phobias. People finally figured out he's not only germ-phobic, it turns out he's afraid to walk downstairs. So make it a point to watch Donald every time he comes out of an airplane, walks down that staircase. Remember how Obama used to trot down the middle of it? You'll see Donald holding on for dear life. He has a irrational fear. Listen to the word, irrational. That's what fears and phobias are. They're irrational. Phobias are irrational fears. They make no sense. He's afraid of germs. So he washes his hands a lot. He's afraid of stairs. By all appearances, he's afraid of books. At least he's not interested in reading much. And again, this is not being mean. You're not being mean or calling names when you say Donald Trump is a malignant narcissist and a sociopath who suffers from phobias, from obsessive-compulsive disorder, from attention deficit disorder, and you can go down the list. That's not being mean. That's not calling names. It's a diagnosis. It's a simple fact. And I encourage you to Google it and read articles. There's no shortage of articles about Donald Trump's mental profile and what drew him into this situation. Also, why he has such a thin skin. And to consider that somebody that is so attracted to power is at the same time so insecure that a man who is so cruel and mean and disliked desperately wants to be loved. <laughs> More than anything, he wants adoration. He wants praise. He needs it. He doesn't just want it. He needs it. He, he thrives on it. So he surrounds himself with yes men and people who are afraid to tell them the truth. Now, there's a couple other things I wanted to talk about here tonight. Let me see if I can uh, find my notes real quick. I wanted to talk a little bit about the role of racism and misogyny in all of this because it's a significant factor. Racism alone is a good reason to get involved. And what's political about racism? What's political about misogyny? And how is it that these two go hand in hand? You see, part of the reason that this is happening right now, there are numerous factors, but this is the last chance for fascists to solidify, that's the word I'm looking for, to solidify the power of the white establishment in America, Europe, and Russia. So this is really, like Hitler, a war of white supremacy, a sense that white people are superior, or at the very least, that white people control 
American and European institutions, and if these foreigners, immigrant, refugees, whatever, notice how the right wing throws them all in the same basket and refuses to recognize any difference between an immigrant with a green card, an immigrant with a legal visa, an immigrant without papers, and a refugee that's been vetted for two years. They're all foreigners. They're all part of what Trump calls the ban. And then he denies it's a ban, and then he refers to it as a ban. Because, again, he has the intellect of a 10-year-old and the attention span of a 5-year-old. Not name-calling. <laughs> I'm not being mean. I'm just telling it like it is. You need to be aware of this. And everybody's got a little piece of the pie. It's important that we put it together and get an ever-larger piece since, as I said a minute ago, we can't rely on the media for its help in this. You'll notice if you just look at America, most of my listeners are here in the United States, though because of the podcast, we're heard everywhere. But in America, you understand this country was built after the genocide of the first people, the indigenous Americans, so-called, the Indians, so-called, and then built on the backs of slave labor, Africans kidnapped, kept in bondage, shackled, chained, families ripped apart, sold like dogs. That's what built the United States. And then the Chinese labor in the West, particularly building the railroads for pennies on the dollar. Not unlike the sweatshops and electronic factories today. Mix in colonization and imperialism. And it's European and later American imperialists who sought economic hegemony around the world. And because of the influx of refugees and because the world is beginning to mix and blend, these all-white institutions are being threatened. So what's being portrayed as a war against terror, and the left says, no, this is really a war against Islam. And the jihadists say it's a war against Islam. All of that's true. But more importantly, I would have you consider, this is a war against people of color and a war against women. Because when I talk about white people, I'm talking about the institutions controlled by men. Let's face it, friends. When the founding fathers of the United States of America said in the Declaration of Independence penned by Thomas Jefferson, all men are created equal, they meant all white men who own land. They did not include white men who did not own land. They did not include people of color, foreigners. They did not include slaves, that's for sure. And they did not include women. Slaves got the vote 50 years before the women did. A black man could vote for 50 years before, I mean, few were able to in a practical sense because of Jim Crow, and that's still going on. But 
misogyny, you can't talk about racism without talking about misogyny and the oppression of women. That's part of authoritarianism. I want to go to the phones. If you're on the phone, I'm sure the game's over by now, and you have a question or a comment, you want me to unmute you, just press star 2 on your telephone touchpad. Do that once, star 2, and uh, I'll go to that in a few minutes. And also, if you're listening live online, you can use the text box on the page in front of you. And uh, after you've entered your comment, your question, your name and city, be sure and hit the submit button. I won't see it if you don't click through. By the way, while I'm thinking of it, I want to remind those of you in Southern California that a couple of weeks from tomorrow, President's Day actually, Monday, February 20th, I'll be speaking in Santa Monica at the Activist Support Circle. This is their 12th anniversary meeting. I was their first speaker 12 years ago. I also spoke, I think, about four years ago when Doreen and I first moved back to L.A. from Maui and uh, haven't been back in four years. It's way over on the other side of town. I live on uh, the east side near Pasadena, and this is Santa Monica, so I don't get over there very often. But I'm happy to go and speak on uh, February 20th. That's a Monday night. Starts early, 6 o'clock. It's absolutely free to come in and join the meeting. And it's at the Unurban Cafe on Pico. So there's some really killer food and drink available at reasonable prices, but there's like no cover or no charge to come to the meeting. You want to just bring your water bottle, <laughs> and you'll be cool. And I sure would like to meet you and see you there. Uh, introduce yourself, step up, tell me who you are. Let me see your face and shake your hand and thank you for your involvement. And we're going to talk about some of what we're talking about tonight, but the emphasis is going to be on how do we remain active? How do we organize? How do we resist? What do we do? What are the strategies? What are the tactics? And how do we avoid burnout? I'll give you one little tip about burnout. You must be well-informed. You must read diverse and antagonistic information. You know, social media is not a source of news. It's a source of bad information, alternative facts, fake news. I'm not saying ignore it or avoid it. You just cannot rely on it. And there is no one objective source. So you have to go to many and seek out diversity in your sources of news, even antagonistic, diverse and antagonistic sources of news. So you must be well informed, but you have to walk the middle path, moderation. You can't be overexposed or you're going to burn out. And then when it comes to being an activist, similarly, with this onslaught of neo-Nazi, quasi-fascist, uh, I mean, Congress really hasn't done much yet. So far, this has all been by decree. It's really a good idea to do your best to focus your attention on one or two 
maybe three at most really important issues that you feel strongly about and focus your energy into those. Because if you try to do everything, you're going to freak out. You're going to burn out. You're going to feel as if you're not making a difference and there's nothing you can do. So you need to focus your energy. And this is less something you arrive at by thought than something you understand through your feelings. You need to trust your intuition. What do you feel most strongly about? That's where you want to put your energy, your time, and your energy. All right, let's take a look at the uh, control panel here. I've got like five windows open on my computer. And we got quite a few people. Um, the game must be over. <laughs> we have quite a few people on the phone, but nobody seems to want to talk to me. You know, hurt my feelings if you keep doing this. And uh, text messages seems mostly just to be hi, hello, and an occasional howdy, thanks for doing this, and no real questions or comments. Maybe I'm giving you too much information. I don't think so, not really. Well, I think rather than talk more about Putin's plans to create a coalition with the emerging fascists in the United States, Donald Trump, Le Pen in France, and there are others whose names I don't know off the top of my head, but most of the Western European nations have strong emerging fascist movements that have been built out of anti-immigrant sentiment. So the French are saying, France for the French. And the Italians are saying, Italy for the Italians. And the Greeks are saying, what's the deal? If you're not Greek, get out of here. And you know about Brexit and the British, how they got hornswoggled into that. Same thing as here. Rural people, the least well-informed, the least sophisticated, people that didn't even know what the European Union was until they voted to leave it. And then the next day, you saw the news, no doubt, about the sudden surge in the number of people in England that were Googling EU and European Union. And what's the EU? They didn't even know what they were voting for. And the same thing here in the United States. Donald Trump promised that he was going to change the ban on negotiating drug prices. He was going to attack Big Pharma because Republicans have put law, and some Democrats for that matter, get so much, so much money in campaign contributions that they've actually passed laws that cause pharmaceutical prices to be inordinately high in this country, and even passed laws to ban imports from Canada and European countries of safe and effective drugs to keep these pharmaceuticals unnaturally high in price. Trump promised that he was going to fight that and bring those drug prices down through competitive bidding. Well, two days ago, he had a meeting with all the CEOs of Big Pharma, never even brought it up.
said that he was going to protect Social Security and Medicare. Already, Congress is at work, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, Paul Ryan in the House, to take money. They call these entitlement programs. Social Security, an entitlement program. We've paid into that all of our lives. How is it that we're entitled, feeling entitled? I mean, the word has several connotations. We are entitled to that money, but the way it's used today, it's like we want welfare. We want free stuff. That's money we invested through the government. And undercutting education with this Betsy DeVos, who apparently has never even been to schooling. She can't answer the questions that are being put to her in committee about her nomination to be Secretary of Education. And her plan is to replace public schools with charter schools that are accountable to a lesser degree than public schools. Because there's big money in it, profit in it. Her brother, by the way, is Eric Prince, the head of Blackwater, the the death squad that Bush and Cheney used in Iraq. So they're both multi, multi-millionaires. Betsy DeVos is a billionaire. She was born into a billionaire family, married into a billionaire family. Doesn't that remind you of, like, European royalty? Doesn't that sound like feudalism and monarchy? Isn't that what the French Revolution and the American Revolution was about eliminating? Not wealthy and prosperous people, but this landed aristocracy that pulls so much money out of the economy that one in five American children are hungry. And there's no guarantee of health care. And of course, the rich need another tax cut, which shifts the tax burden to you. So, foolish Americans were fooled by a fool. That's what it comes down to. Foolish Americans were fooled by a fool. Remember he criticized Hillary for being cozy with the Wall Street bankers and how he was going to break up these bankers and he was going to pass Glass-Steagall. Well, not only is he not doing Glass-Steagall, that's an attempt to prevent another collapse like the one that crashed our economy eight nine years ago. He's getting that. He signed an executive order to allow coal companies to dump poisons into the rivers of the United States. He eliminated the Fiduciary Act, which required until this past week that financiers and brokers put your interest as a customer ahead of their own desire to make money. So now their profits can have a higher priority than your welfare. So they just rip you off. You can no longer trust your your broker to be your advocate or work in your interest. Just one thing after another. He eliminated this past week one of the sanctions against Russia that prevented very sophisticated computer uh, spy equipment, really, from being sold to the KGB currently called the FSB, so that the Kremlin, KGB, Secret Service, their CIA, NSA spy agencies can buy the best American spy equipment to spy on us. And while he's suffering this delusion that three to five million Americans voted illegally, or three to five million people 
may or may not have been Americans, voted illegally in the last election, all of them for Hillary, none of them for him, he has absolutely no interest in the stacks of evidence that Russia hacked the election in his favor. We've got the best president that Russian rubles can buy. A megalomaniac, a fascist dictator, and we're just starting. Say, well, he's not a fascist yet. He's not as bad as Mussolini, certainly not as bad as Hitler. He hasn't killed millions of people like Stalin. No, but the lust for power, the contempt for our courts, the effort to destroy the news media, its credibility, and on and on, all the hallmarks of a dictator, an authoritarian, an oligarch, a narcissist, a malignant narcissist, a megalomaniac suffering delusions of grandeur and paranoia, a man obsessed with his popularity who is so phobic he can't walk down a staircase without somebody holding his hand. And you just can't make this stuff up. So I told you a little bit about uh, Santa Monica and the activist support circle. I didn't tell you how to get more information. You can call during the day, regular business hours, 310 area code, 310 area code, 399-1000. If you want to get the address and uh, more information, you don't need a reservation or anything. But Jerry and Marissa Rubin are sort of the two-man show over there, two-person show. <laughs> a wonderful couple. 310-399-1000 during the daytime. Don't bother them at night. 310-399-1000, the activist support circle. I'll be there at 6 p.m. till about 8 at the Unurban Cafe on Pico. I don't have the number, but that's all you need to know. And you can also check their Facebook page at facebook.com slash activist support circle. Activist is not plural. It's just facebook.com forward slash activist support circle. And I think you need to capitalize activist and support and circle. I think that matters. So I'm going to go find out who won the damn uh, football game. I have no idea. But I sure appreciate you being here. And... Um, I'm going to continue to do these live webinars. Now, it's much more costly for me to do this as a free service than to simply pre-record a podcast, which I can do. But the reason that we in, incur the expense of a live webinar is to get you guys involved. And I suppose I could call my friends and have ringers, but that doesn't really feel very honest. So I haven't done that, and I'm not going to do that. But I see people on the phone, and I know there are people online. Although, at the end of the day, most people will listen on demand through the podcast, and that's just fine. That's okay, too. But gosh, if you can be here Sunday nights at 7 o'clock Pacific, and if you can hit star two in the phone and say, yeah, I got a quick little question and I'm a little bashful and sort of scared to do this, but <laughs> I'll do it anyway, right? 
or I'll type in a little text message here and ask a little question. Then we can get some discussion going back and forth, and it's not just me. I can do this alone, obviously. I can go on and on and on and on. I can drone on forever if that's all you want, but look at all the talent here that that we're missing out on. And there's no more talk radio. They blew that off. I can't. I can't get on the radio anymore and do telephone talk shows. The only talk shows left are right-wing Nazi shows for foolish fools who are easily fooled. (laughs) Who bought Trump's populist lies. Oh, I was going to tell you the big secret at the end here, wasn't I? The one unifying thread. Gosh, I'm glad I remembered to do that right here at the very end of the program. We'll talk about this more in the future. What is it that brings it all together? We talked about fascism. We talked about the role of corporations and bankers in fascism. We talked about the racism and the misogyny behind it. We talked about Putin's plan to create this new Eurasian fascism that connects Russia with Europe with the United States, while white people are still in control of the institutions, a war against people of color and women. Let me tell you what I think ultimately separates the left and the right, and that's whether you have a high level of self-interest and care more about yourself than other people, than your right of center, or if you love other people, and animals, and the environment, and life itself, more than your ego. Because there's really only one of us here, and we are each other. Remember Lennon and McCartney said, I am he, and you are he, and you are me, and we are all together. When I was a teenager, that didn't make any sense. I I understand that now. There's just one of us here. There's just one life. And if you know that, you're left to center. That's what motivates you. You care about other people. You're working for peace and justice. People on the right, they are not our enemy. Their fear and their ignorance is the enemy because it drives them to care only about themselves. That's what puts them right of center. You may want to even, and I don't mean to insult you, but you may even want to write that down and ponder it, take it into your meditation, contemplate it, reflect upon that for a while. Could it possibly be that simple? Well, you tell me next week we'll be right here. Who is the self? What is the self? Is it a selfish, self-centered self? Or is it a self that is harmonized and unified? A fragment of the inalienable nature of the one life. That's where I'm at. That's where the people I love are at. The people who care about each other. And the animals and the trees. And clean air. And delicious, clear, sparkling water that doesn't come out of a vending machine owned by Coca-Cola. All right? So circle the date. Hope to see you in Santa Monica. We'll be here next week, Sunday night. 
February 12th, 2017, one week from tonight, 7 o'clock Pacific Time, 10 Eastern, 03 hours GMT. Have a wonderful week. Remember, dark times, terrible times, filled with joy and happiness at the opportunity and the prospects of coming together to resist and persist. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other from Los Angeles. This is Michael Benner. So long. Mm-hmm.